What we're going to talk about today, actually, uh, what I'm going to talk about is, is heaven. And I hope that you're going to get really excited about it because uh, I actually want to use it to really encourage you today and uh, to get you excited. Um, heaven uh, is a topic that's uh, disappeared somewhat from uh, uh, discussions in churches. Uh, I mean, if you're older, old enough, you would probably have noticed that if you go back a little while, I used to, people used to talk about heaven a lot. Uh, and we just don't talk about heaven that much anymore. Uh, churches tend to be uh, pretty silent. I think it may be because of a saying that kind of came out um, back in the day. I wonder if you've heard this one. You're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Have you heard that one? Um, which I think, and this is my argument today, I think that that's actually uh, a misunderstanding of how heaven and a vision of heaven ought to inform the present. So today's message is uh, called uh, a present help and a partially present reality that's a subtitle to the title of heaven Um, back to that statement though you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good Uh, c.s lewis would disagree and he writes in he writes in mere christianity um, this If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for this present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Interesting, isn't it? Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Woody Allen uh, famously uh, is said to have made this comment, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Um, And unfortunately, I think um, heaven is kind of been reserved to funerals and death and extreme suffering and extreme pain. It's something that takes the sting out of death. It's something that brings hope when we're despairing it's a way out of pain and it is all of those things but is that all it is and I want to suggest to you today it's not all that it is Um, we are uh, in the midst of a little bit of a season of fascination I think with uh, the issue of heaven mostly because of people who have died and gone to heaven and come back Uh, one of the most famous is this one here heaven is for real Um, there was another kid over in America who said he died and went to heaven and it was all fabricated and that's kind of hit the media in the last few months, but uh, that's not this kid. Um, look, it's pretty hard to verify the truthfulness of the reports, but you know what is true about um, these stories is we can get really drawn to them, can't we? And I think we can get really drawn to them because it starts getting us thinking about the fact that this actually might be real. This actually might be a a real place uh, and it's really going to happen. It kind of breaks us out of our idea um, that it's just a nice sentiment. Heaven's a nice sentiment. It's something you say at a funeral to make people to feel better. And I want to ask these questions today and answer them hopefully. Is there a way that an understanding of heaven helps with the present? I'm going to say yes. Is there a way that it informs the present? And then I'm again going to say that I think that it is that there is and so i actually think a good vision of heaven actually influences your life and impacts it now now what i'm hoping today is you're actually going to get a bit excited okay and i mean seriously if it comes down to having to do a shimmy in the aisle or something i'll be okay with that all right 
because this is pretty fantastic, okay? This is pretty fantastic and you just got to get right into it. So let me give you a few characteristics of what heaven is actually going to be like. This message is not so much about what is heaven going to be like, it's about what does having a vision for heaven do uh, for us and uh, how does it help us? If you, uh, there's a guy called Randy Alcon, he uh, studied heaven for 25 years and he's written a pretty big book and it's called Heaven. See, you're really smart, you're doing well. So it's called Heaven, all right? And he goes through everything. Like, are there dogs in cat, uh, and cats in heaven? Is your pets going to go to heaven? Do they get to talk in heaven? No, he actually doesn't do that one. But he's, he kind of goes through absolutely everything. Let me give you a, a brief, quick sketch of what heaven is going to be like. Heaven, I think, is going to be physical. I think the, uh, the body that Jesus had after he was um, resurrected from the dead, where he could eat fish yet walk through a wall, is probably going to be pretty close to something that we're going to have. How does that work? I don't know. I'm not a science guy. Okay, So you can talk to the science guys and they can work that out. But it's going to be physical. Uh, from all uh, the indications we've got biblically, uh, what's going to happen is God's going to torch this earth. He's going to get rid of all the evil. He's going to recreate it. And then what's going to happen is he's going to bring his dwelling place down onto earth and we're going to get to hang out together. Is that good? That's awesome, right? Um, it looks like uh, in heaven that there actually is time. Now, some people would maintain that God lives outside of time and all the stuff where God is is kind of outside of time. Uh, I disagree with them. I think there is going to be time. Uh, and let me give you one piece of evidence. And there's many pieces of evidence. Revelation 8 verse 1 is one of those. And it says this. Uh, John is talking about when the prayers of the saints are offered to God. It specifically says there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Okay? alongside that is the fact that it's really hard for something to happen to someone if you don't have time okay because there has to be a time where it hadn't happened a time when it happens and then a time passed when it had happened so it looks like in heaven there's time and there's going to be space and if you're worried about heaven being a killer eternity long church service you need not worry (laughs) okay there's uh, talk, I mean, you only have to read Revelations 21 and 22. It talks about there's going to be rivers in the place, there's a city, there's trees. Uh, there's even one reference, I think, in Revelation to a mountain, uh, a mountain kind of range kind of thing. If you kind of go back to the Garden of Eden and start there, it's really important not to stop there because God says it's going to be way better than that. But start there, you probably get a bit of a sense of it. I think there's going to be adventures, you're going to walk. Um, you're going to just enjoy magnificent views. I think there's going to be all that kind of stuff. It's going to be a really, really super cool place. Listen to this from Revelation 21. John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, uh, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. How good's that? Isn't that good? Seriously, like the best friend that you've got, multiply them by infinity and that's what God is to you and you just get to hang out with him all the time, forever. Is anyone happy about that? That is just going to be so good. He's never going to do the dirty on you. He's never going to betray you. He's never going to gossip about you behind your back. He's going to love you and look after you and protect you and you're just going to love him all the time. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes. And I've made the comment here at the project before, that would be something he, would, he could delegate probably to the millions of angels that he's got. But it's a personal job he's going to undertake, is to make sure that all of your tears are going to be sorted out. Who actually is looking forward to being in a world where there's no more crying? Wouldn't that be good? I mean, maybe there's going to be crying if you're really happy, which kind of means you're going to cry forever, uh, which would be a bit draining, I guess. But um, He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's a good place, right? So here we go. Heaven, the present help, a partially present reality. I'm not going to tell you what these five are, but I'm going to give you five reasons why heaven is a present help. I am going to tell you them, but not all at once. All right, here we go. Heaven is going to help protect you. The reality of heaven will help to protect you from the lethal futility. Listen to this. To Adam, he said, who's he? This is Genesis 3. Anyone know? Come on, come on. You can actually, who is it? You reckon, who's he? God, God, right? To Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife. Now, what's going on here? All right, because there's a bunch of husbands here who just go, see, I should never listen to my wife. What's happening here is Adam and Eve have disobeyed God. They've ended up in a dodgy place and God's saying, listen, uh, because your wife offered you the fruit and you took the fruit from your wife and you sinned alongside her, um, this is the curse that's going to come upon you. Um, And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, and for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Do you know what the um, Australian version of futility is? It's Murphy's Law. Have you ever thought about that? That's what it is. Now what's actually happening here with Adam and Eve is God's going, listen, you're going to work really hard and thorns and thistles are going to grow up and things are just going to come in and wreck stuff that's good. That's what's going to happen. And who knows that that actually happens on our planet, the Good things get wrecked. Now, Murphy's Law is what? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong at the worst possible time. That is a good definition of futility. You do something kind and someone doubts your motives. You work hard on something, then it gets wrecked. I remember my pop, uh, he's passed away now, gone to be with Jesus, uh, lucky guy. Um, he, um, he was in World War II, he was in the army. And he actually was stationed at uh, Papua New Guinea. And he actually wasn't, he didn't have any kind of face-to-face combat. But I remember him telling this story where they got the guys at the uh, port there to actually work on putting a new dock up or wharf or whatever it was because this American um, sailing kind of warship was coming in, right? So they spent, he said they spent three months building this uh, dock and the warship literally came and just sailed straight through the middle of it. <laughs> that is futility. Let me tell you something else that's futility. I love passion fruit. That's not futility, but I'm just about to tell you. If I could eat enough passion fruit to look like one, I'd be probably a pretty happy man, okay? I'd probably be like that. Now, up the back of our property, property, our block, I've got an acre and a half. It's a vast, vast expanse. At the uh, back of our block, we have a really cool Panama gold passion fruit vine. But do you know what? It is laden with fruit at the moment. But if you know anything about passion fruits, they don't ripen unless it's warm enough. And all of the fruit, bar two, are green. And there's another cold snap coming. (laughs) You with me? It's kind of futility. It's like I'm looking up there and I'm just thinking, I could be in passion fruit heaven with this stuff. 
but I'm never going to get there. I'm just stuck in some kind of weird kind of futility thing. Back uh, in the uh, in the olden days, uh, before I was married, I um, I, I had a house built uh, on another block, and uh, I just wanted a passion fruit vine. So I um, so I planted a passion fruit vine, and I tended to this passion fruit vine. Let me tell you what happened to my passion fruit vine. I bought a dog prior to buying that house um, or building that house, and it was a border collie. Anyone ever owned a border collie? They're a really good example of um, ADHD, you know. It's today, I mean, we just get up today and I'm looking out and my do- our dog is just doing laps around these bushes and there's no point to it at all. It's just, and I said to the boys, I said, that dog is just running because it just needs to run. That's the bottom line. And my uh, old dog, who's, uh, who's, who's died, um, that's a, no, I'm not, I see, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> It was any border collie between a, uh, about three months old and 12 months old is particularly destructive if you've had one, even if you've had some kind of breed that's got some border collie in it. So my, uh, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you some more about the dog in a minute, but uh, my old dog, here's, here's how it worked. It obviously got into the middle of the night, just got really bored, I've got to do something. So it's obvious what I need to do is completely destroy Peter's passion fruit vine that he's been tending. Uh, and I come out in the morning, it's just this stick coming out of the ground. It's gone, you know. I can't even hear angels singing. It's just gone. Um, and what, what made it worse is I was, I was a little traumatised by the whole event and came to school and told a bunch of students and they didn't care either. <laughs> so that was a bit sad. Now, over here at the moment, let me give you another example of futility over here at the moment. My parents are in America at the moment and um, they leave our caravan at our place and um, we, a um, bit of a long story, but we had to have our dog on the chain for a little bit and she kind of had a bit of a crack at the corner of the caravan cover, right? So it wasn't that bad. You're all kind of <laughs> grimacing like this is going to be bad. It will be. <laughs> anyway, so she had a crack at that and I said to Dad, I said, look, Dad, I think the dog's had a bit of a crack at your caravan cover. And Mum and Dad came out and they brought shade cloth out and needles and thread and they just thought, we're just going to repair this whole thing. We'll just get it all... It is absolutely, the whole thing is just shredded now, right? She's sitting out there today with this piece of caravan cover. One of the boys goes, do you think I should get that caravan cover off the dog? We're just going, nah, it's too late now. The whole side of it's kind of been ripped off. And so mum and dad have tended to it and futility kind of, uh, kind of got it in the shape of a border collie. This is kind of life, isn't it? You know, we do stuff, we put effort into stuff and uh, it just becomes futile because it gets wrecked. This uh, sounds very pessimistic, but what about this one? You get old, you get wise, and then you die. <laughs> now, it sounds a bit harsh, but it's kind of true, isn't it? I mean, I look back on my younger days, and I think, oh, it's marginally better than useless, <laughs> you know? And I think the older I get, the more useful I'm becoming, and it's just a weird reality of this world, is the older you get, the wiser you get, the more useful you get in terms of just god's planning and and what he's wanting to do with you then your body starts to break down and uh, there's a futility that's connection connected to it well how does heaven affect this uh let's have a look at this romans 8 verse 20 to 21 this is what paul writes he says for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of god what's paul saying he's going what's actually happened is because of sin 
in the human moral reality that's actually spread to creation and creation is just heaving and it's in trouble and what's going to happen is that when God comes and he makes everything new creation's going to get liberated and it's going to end up in the freedom and the glory that is going to come for the children of God isn't that good that is a great great hope and the hope that you've got is even the things that happen to you that seem meaningless and useless and the futility and the waste of time stuff God's going to find a way to weave that into his plan and his story Romans 8 28 says this all things work together for good for those who love God now if you're going through something very very difficult right now that's hard to hear but if that's not true your life's going to be impossible to live at times do you get that? Do you get that? If God doesn't work the futile things that just seem to come and just wreck things, if he doesn't work those things into his story for your good and for his glory, that's going to be a very, very hard life. And you need not doubt that he's going to make even the dumb things, even the futile things, even the wasteful things work into his story. Number two, the reality of heaven will mean that suffering hurts less and notice i'm not saying the reality of heaven will mean that suffering doesn't hurt all right if you didn't hurt when you were in pain that would probably be an indicator you were less than human (laughs) all right because when you're suffering and when you're in pain you feel it but the reality of heaven will make it hurt less listen to this from romans 8 verse 18 For I consider, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you see what's going on here? Paul's actually saying that the goodness of the thing coming reshapes the badness of the suffering. I've always believed that your expectations affect the intensity of your pain. I think that if you think everything is meant to go well and it doesn't, that that really, really hurts. You see, if you expect to live a pain-free life, you're probably going to live a pain-filled life of great irritation. I remember asking my, uh, when I was doing my counselling qualification, I remember asking one of the teachers about it, um, and people, uh, about this whole notion of uh, whether grief is affected by someone's expectations. And I didn't find any research on it, no one gave me any research on it, but I just can't see how it's not the case that it's going to be affected by your expectations. But you know what Paul's saying here is he's not saying that you've got to get some kind of expectation about grief and suffering in advance to reshape it. He's actually saying after the grief and the sufferings happen, what's going to happen down the track is going to reshape your grief and suffering. Do you get that? And it's kind of, it's, it's just going to be different. He talks about the same kind of thing in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Who are the people who are asleep? Dead people, yeah. That you may not, listen to this, that you may not grieve as others who do, sorry, as others do who have no hope. Now, you would probably know at least as well as me, if not better, that there is a kind of grieving that doesn't have any hope to it. That kind of grieving is a very, very painful grieving. And there can be actually even times as a Christian where, uh, if you're a Christian here today, where um, you do have hope, but you can be in a place of hopeless grieving too. You get what I'm saying? It can be really, really difficult. Now, what's Paul going to do here, right? 
He's just saying, listen, some people have died and it's really difficult for you, right? And the church, the early church, man, they're just getting whacked from pillar to post, all right? That's pretty much the first 300 years of the church. They're getting martyred. What does he say to help them? Listen to this. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Do you see what he's saying? You don't grieve as people who have no hope. You grieve as people who are filled with hope. Why? Because of the destination where you're going to end up. Listen to the beautiful words at the bottom line there, the the two bottom lines there. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? God's going to orchestrate it to make sure that you're always with him. That's what's going to happen. And even when he comes to get you, you're going to be with him. Isn't that good? Yeah, for that? Anyone excited about that? You ought to be. You ought to be. And listen to what Paul says at the end. Obviously, encourage each other with these words. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) Well, I'm trying to do. Hopefully, you're getting encouraged today. So get into it. God's going to look after you. It's going to have an end point. And the end point is going to reshape the struggle. In 1952... A young lady, Florence Chadwick, stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island, determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She'd already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly. She could hardly see the boats accompanying her. Still, she swam for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother in a boat alongside told her she was close and that she could make it. Finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and was pulled out. It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than half a mile away. At a news conference the next day, she said this, All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, look to the shore and you'll make it. Don't be stuck in the fog that's his encouragement number three the reality of heaven stops you from making the inhospitable home hebrews 11 verse 8 to 10 by faith abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going just going that is just isn't this a classic you know husband and wife in a car like where are we going it's like don't know do you think we should ask someone no i think i mean abraham's going no we'll be fine we don't need to know. And it's just, can you imagine that argument? Maybe they're on a camel or something. I don't know. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Listen to this. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Do you see that? So it's actually saying there in Hebrews that Abraham recognized that he was a foreigner. Because he was looking for the homeland. Who knows this world's a tough place? It can be, it can be really good sometimes, can't it? 
But there's other times it can be really inhospitable. And God wants you to know that this earth in its current state, it's not your home. So stop trying to make it your home. All right? Your home is coming. You see, we work so hard sometimes to make this place home. And in one sense, it was home, wasn't it? Before sin came into the world, it was home, but it's not home now. So don't try to make it home. So you've got this sweet opportunity at the moment in your life to do what Abraham did and say, this is not my home. I'm a foreigner. My home's coming and live differently. C.S. Lewis uh, said this. He said, our father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant inns, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. Don't try and make something that's inhospitable, that's not your home. Don't try and make it home. You'll be really disappointed. Number four, the reality of heaven makes sense of your desires. Isaiah, Isaiah in Isaiah 11 gives this vision of what it's going to be like when God's rule fully extends over everything. The new heavens, the new earth. Listen to this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. I mean, just even think about that. That is uncanny, isn't it? I mean, you look at that and you go, really? Like a little lamb? Seriously, I mean, maybe if you kind of collared the wolf, you'd, get the, you'd be able to get a lamb to lie down next to a wolf, but would a lamb be able to go to sleep? <laughs> probably not. And if they did, they'd probably think they're going to wake up with a couple less legs than what they went to sleep with, you know? And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And listen to that last statement there, and a little child shall lead them. Can you imagine that? A little kid's just going to lead a lion along. You know, I said to one of my lads the other day, actually, we were just talking about heaven. We talk about heaven quite a bit at home. And I said, won't it be cool? You'd just be able to go up and you'd be able to give a lion a pat. God's presence and his rule, his kingly, peaceful rule, is going to be such that you're going to be able to walk up and stand right next to a lion and not be scared. Isn't that good? The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like, an, like the ox. It's even better. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Isn't that amazing? The breastfed baby, it's maybe, what, nine months old? Maybe just learn how to crawl. As I was saying, that kid is going to be able to probably stick their arm right down a cobra hole and not be worried and not be concerned of getting hurt. That's what it's going to be like when God's rule extends across everything. That's what it's going to be like regarding nature and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the lord as the waters cover the sea you see i don't think heaven is just going to be this back-breaking eternity long church service because i think that's a very narrow definition of what it means to worship god I think it's going to be, if I can say it this way, why it's going to be really cool to be with Jesus. It's going to be really fun. We're going to be able to probably walk up and pat a lion, sit next to a lion and not be scared. And you know, I think we've got to get enough of a vision of what heaven's going to be like that we kind of start to think, well, take me out. <laughs> and I'm not saying in a suicidal way, I'm just saying take me out, this is going to be so good. It's almost like, 
like um, Paul says, I think in Philippians, he says, for me to die is gain, you know, but it's gain for you if I stay. You know, get a vision of heaven that's that good. This is the kind of reality that God's going to bring about. There's going to be so much peace and wholeness. Think about this. So much peace and wholeness that nature won't be a threat anymore. What would it mean for you if nature was not a threat anymore? Just pause and think about that. Ange and I went uh, and had a holiday in New Zealand before we had kids. And um, we went bushwalking, which in New Zealand is called tramping, yeah, which is something completely different in Australia <laughs> that we're not going to talk about. But we went for a bushwalk. And you know what I noticed? I noticed that when I heard a noise in the bushes, I didn't have to think about whether there was a snake there because I don't have snakes. And so at that level, there was like this threat. I mean, you go to America and you tell them how we've got like the, I don't know, six, don't quote me on this, but like six out of the ten most venomous snakes in the world and crocodiles. and Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yes, phone a friend. You say that and I think every time you step out of the front door of your house, something's trying to kill you, all right? That's kind of how it is. But in New Zealand, bushwalking, I got some small kind of piece of that where I'm just going, no, it's not going to, it's not a snake. I don't need to worry about that. I wonder what it would be like if you thought that about all of nature, that none of it is going to be a threat. No storms, no cyclones, no, no droughts, your own body. So your vision for heaven is actually going to help you to handle the lack of peace that exists in this world. And you've got to want it, right? You've got to want it. And this is why you need to tell people about Jesus, right? That's why you need to tell people about Jesus. Not because we need more money, but because people, there is a treasure sitting here that you just want everyone to have, right? And if you're not a Christian here today, it's on offer. And it's actually a very expensive gift that you don't have to pay anything for. In my uh, non-compassionate days, which were my younger days, and I've talked at length about that, so if you're new here today, my apologies for that, but I used to be a very uncompassionate person, um, which is a good thing that's changed because you don't make a particularly good church leader when you're not compassionate. But a mate of mine who was about 26 went on a, um, on a camp, a kind of a, a youth kind of study camp kind of thing. It was a Christian camp and uh, he literally died in his sleep. They, uh, they think he had an asthma attack in his sleep and he died on the camp, which is tragic in many, many ways. But um, back in the day, you know what my first thought was when I heard the news? I thought, you dog, <laughs> you got there first, you know? Now, yeah, there's... A tragedy, isn't there? I'm not saying that's not a tragedy. That is a tragedy. And I think God would say it's a tragedy. But he is in one sweet, sweet place. And here's what's true about desires, isn't it? They tend to get only partially filled in this world. You get enough of a taste just to keep you going, but it's never quite enough. And you know why? Because I think every longing for health, for example, is a longing for the new earth. Every longing for peace and rest is a longing for the shalom, the peace that God's going to bring in heaven. Every longing for romance is a longing for the ultimate romance with Jesus. Every desire for intimacy is actually a desire for Christ and every thirst for beauty is actually a thirst for Christ. Jonathan Edwards says this, It becomes us to spend this life only as a journey toward heaven 
to which we should subordinate all other concerns of life. Why should we labour for or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end and true happiness? Good point? I think it's a great point. Last one is this. The reality of heaven helps you to keep growing. What are those two words? Say out loud. Excellent. Now, I just want you to think about those two words before we look at the scriptures. This one's a little bit tricky and this is a bit of, it's a half-thought thing for, for me, all right? And I think I'm onto it, but I'm just saying you don't have to take this one to the bank. Oh, you don't have to take anything to the bank that I've said, but you can, you can look it up in the Bible. If the Bible says it, you need to take it to the bank. But here's a big idea. I think God created humans to grow and probably to grow forever. But I don't think God initially created humans to need to change. All right. Now, the difference between grow and change, grow is kind of develop. Change is like you have to become something different. Okay. So if, you, uh, if I go back to this slide here, you can see there that when Jesus is actually born, it specifically says in John, in Luke, I should say, that uh, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. Do you see that? Jesus is growing. Growing, I don't think, is a moral kind of thing. I think growing is what God originally created everyone to do. Is everyone with me on that? Change is something that needs to happen because humanity's turned against God, sinned, and we've become corrupt, and God actually needs to change us to, uh, to what we need to be. Is everyone cool with that so far? Let me tell you what a true human is meant to look like. A true human is meant to look like Jesus. Okay? Now, when Jesus was, uh, was born and grew up, he grew, all right? He didn't need to change, but he did need to grow in his, as a human. Is everyone cool with me so far? As soon as Jesus actually went into his ministry period of between about 30 to 33 the first thing that happens to jesus is he gets sent sent into the wilderness and he's tested okay because it appears that this is how it rolls if you're royalty in god's economy you get tested all right which is what you see at the bottom of the screen up there from hebrews 5 verse 7 to 8 in the days of his flesh jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Listen to this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, was Jesus imperfect? No, he wasn't. But he did need to grow in his humanity. All right? So growth is not good or bad. Growth is something that God's just made you to do. Okay? Change is something that God needs to do to you. And it's something that you need because of the effects of sin. So here's how it rolls. The way that God's made humanity to work, true humanity to work, is that they would get tested and that they would resist the temptation from the testing and then he would actually pour his glory and his honour upon them. Do you see this here with Jesus? That's kind of how it rolls, which kind of explains, as a little side note, it kind of explains how when you get tempted and you give in to it, you feel less than human after it. You with me? Yet when you actually get tempted and you stand up and you push back against it, you actually feel there's some dignity that goes along with that because that's kind of what a true human does. That's kind of human stuff. The giving into temptation is not kind of true human kind of stuff. 
And you kind of get that from the book of Proverbs, right? The book of Proverbs is really saying to you, you never regret resisting temptation, (laughs) all right? It's always good and it's always smart and it always works and it's something that you should always do. Book of Proverbs is kind of like, here's what a true human actually looks like. Now, here's my point. Some of you are going, what's this got to do with heaven? This is what it's got to do with heaven. Some people, I think, think this. What's the point? What's the point in working on things here when at the end of it, God's just going to kind of clean everything up and then we're all going to be in heaven and we're all going to kind of start from the same level? I want to suggest to you that I think there's continuity between your growth here and where you're going to be starting in heaven. Okay? You with me? Because I don't think growth is a morally good or bad thing. It's just something that you're on. Okay, now is God going to transform a whole bunch of things? Absolutely he is. Is he going to change a whole bunch of things? Yes, he is. All right? But I want to suggest to you that tomorrow when you get tempted to do something and God wants to teach something to you and grow you tomorrow, you should embrace that because I think that's going to count toward where you start when you start in heaven. Is everyone okay with that? You with me? So get into it. (laughs) All right? That's what I'm saying. Get into it. I think... Another good example for this is um, we can see uh, is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Listen to this. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. If you look through the scriptures, what you actually see is that the more people see God properly, and we're metaphorically saying see, the more people see God properly, the more they actually get changed. So it makes sense. If you're going to go to heaven, and heaven is all about Jesus, right, somehow, and you're just going to learn more and more, and the Bible's clear that God wants to tell you more and more about him stuff across, him, across eternity, then you're just going to keep growing. Isn't that good? So that's good. So this week, when you resisted temptation, good on you. Keep doing it, right? Because it counts. It's not going to kind of all be nullified. I think it counts. There's going to be continuity there. All right, here's where I'm going to finish. Heaven is a partially present reality. John 5 verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. What tense is that? Yeah, it's present tense. It's actually happening right now. There you go, Carly's gone. You had to think about that for a minute. It is. It's present tense. Who here believes in Jesus and trusts in him right now? Excellent. So Jesus is saying to you people, you actually literally right now have already started eternal life. Isn't that good? He says, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 5, verse 24. Now, here's where I'm going to finish today. Probably one of the most quoted scriptures on heaven. John 14, 1 to 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. You know, that is an absolutely stunning thing for him to open with. Do you know why? Because he is days away from being crucified on a cross with nails, being scourged and bearing the sin of the world. All right? And he knows what's going to happen when that happens to him. His disciples are going to end up in a head spin. All right? And this is a great example of the tenderness of Jesus, isn't it? Have you ever had someone who's just had a massive trauma happen to them and they come up and they care about the fact that your coffee's cold or something? And you just kind of go, Seriously, man, my coffee is like nothing compared to what's going on for you. This is what's going on here. It's like Jesus is just about to face this huge thing 
and he's caring about the disciples and how they're going to end up in a headspin. He says this, Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to meet, sorry, to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, just note a couple of things in there. Why is he preparing a place for you? So you can be with him. That's the deal. Now, it's a bit of a weird one, right? Just have a look again, because he says at the end, he says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And some of us, you probably heard it cashed out by people like Jesus is probably up there, he's swinging a hammer, and he's, he's got to put a few more stud walls up, and he's got a bit of plastering to go, you know, and he's, he's, he's gonna, there needs to be a few more rooms. And um, Now, it's clearly talking about some kind of physical reality, I think. I mean, that's kind of what it looks like. I mean, the, theologians talk about this room kind of thing, and they kind of can make them... Lots of different things, all right? And that might be true, but it just looks like there's some kind of physical reality um, about it. And I um, had a uh, sweet conversation. Uh, I mean, we just, it's on the girl house, but, you know, I try to talk about heaven a lot. Um, I was talking to one of my lads the other night, and um, I said, you know, Jesus has got a room for you at his place, you know? And for a kid, it's, it's like, do you want to go and have a sleepover at Jesus' place, like forever? It's like, yes. <laughs> you know, that's what it's like for a kid, you know. And so we're just talking about this stuff. And I said, would you like to just be in a room on your own? Forever. Or would you like to be in a room with some good friends? He's, he's going, I'll have the friends, you know. It's like... He shares a room at the moment. That's, it's not always easy sharing a room with someone else. Um, but you know what? Being in a room on your own forever, that's kind of solitary confinement, isn't it? And God's a relational God. He loves relationships, you know? So what's God got? He's got this place and it's got rooms. But then Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. What does he mean by that? What does he mean when he's saying, I'm going to go and prepare a place? You know why? Because it looks like it already exists. Do you see that? He says... In my Father's house are many rooms. It's like it's done. So what's he talking about when he's talking about going and preparing a place? I think what he's talking about is this. Jesus' preparing a place is really about how he's going to die and provide a way for us to be with him. You get that? That's what he's saying. His preparation is that he needs to die on the cross so that you can be with him. Jesus is into us and him being in the same place. You ought to get that from this scripture. Both in our bodies now, he wants to be with us now and he is in us if we follow Jesus, but also physically in the new heavens and the new earth. So I want to leave you with this. Whilst we're waiting to head home and to sleep over at his place for all eternity, let's make him at home in us now. John 14 verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That happens now. See, that's why heaven is a partially present reality because he's at home with you now, but one day he wants to take you to his place. And his place is a good place. See, God's making home with us now 
is God being present with us in our lives right now?